My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Oh, do you want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Sometimes it's mind-numbing. It, it, it seems almost impossible to get a clear read on how the economy's actually doing. Too many distractions, too many distortions, too much ambiguity. Yet you can't stop trying. Including on days like today where the Dow dropped here in 24 points, the S&P lost 0.46%, but the Nasdaq advanced 0.13%. Talk about confusion. Unfortunately, little knowledge can be a dangerous thing because there are a lot of false tales out there. I'm going to go over some. Exhibit A, General Motors. Yes, General Motors, the stock plummeted nearly 9% today after reported earnings that laid an egg. Now, looking at that, you might assume GM had a bad quarter. And what's bad for GM, of course, is bad for America. But when I spoke to Mary Barr, the redoubtable CEO, I got quite a different picture. She says demand for cars is insanely great right now, which is why dealer inventories are at the lowest levels we've ever seen. That does hurt sales, by the way. We don't have anything to sell. See the issue supply. We've talked about this before on the show. There's a critical semiconductor shortage. And it doesn't help that an important Malaysian chip foundry has recently been hit by, yes, of course, a COVID outbreak. Last quarter, was a fire in another facility in Japan. I spoke to the head of a large foundry recently. And even though they're going flat out, the demand for auto and industrial chips, which are also known as full-feature chips, not those high-performance chips that they have in data centers, is well in excess of supply. If GM can't get enough chips, they won't be able to make enough cars, which is why the stock is flat on the canvas. I think it represents real value here. More importantly, though, for our purposes to divine the true course of the economy, that's what I'm trying to get at here. The weakness in the stock, it tells you nothing, absolutely nothing about the broader economy. That's what we need to know about. Housing market, punch above its weight. What can we do? Examine. I can't recall another time when things were this strong. I'm conscious that the housing stocks don't reflect that strength, but I think the stocks can be too low. The home building business is incredible. There's almost no supply, lowest in 20 years. But, again, the excellent sales don't tell the whole story. The truth is mortgage rates are abnormally and absurdly low, making homes much more affordable than they would be otherwise. Right now, the 10-year Treasury currently yields less than 1.2%. Many mortgage brokers are backed up to the hilt to meet demand. Try to get them on the phone. Plus, people keep fleeing the cities for the suburbs in the country. I expect that the counter-urban exodus to continue now that all these COVID variants are spreading like wildfire. The Delta variant is running rampant. So densely populated areas like cities are the most dangerous places to be. When you factor all that in, the strength in housing might not be telling you as much about the economy as it normally would. All right, you might want to look at the hottest stocks. Sometimes they can help you make a judgment. So how about today? Good luck. Today, Robinhood, yes, the stock, not the broker, and AMD, yes, the semiconductor company, were smoking hot, both up gigantically. Yet these rallies have little to do with the fundamentals. They're a function of the system totally breaking down as younger investors seized control of both stocks and sent them, yes, to the moon, proverbially. This is one of those times when the hottest stocks are full of sound and fury, signifying nothing except that they're meme stocks. More on that later. Hey, maybe the retailers, right? Well, that's another mixed signal. I highlighted the strength in watch last night. That's my acronym for Walmart, Amazon, Target, Costco, and Home Depot. Usually, that's a sign not of optimism, but of short-term pessimism about the virus. These are lockdown retailers. You buy them when you think the pandemic's getting worse, not better, and we're going into harder times. 
Well, then there's travel. Next picture. We've seen the TSA numbers getting better for the airlines. Booking holdings report a terrific number tonight. The cruise lines are telling you that bookings are up huge. For example, today, Royal Caribbean said that its book load factor is within the average historical range. Customer deposits have increased by 28%. But what kind of promotion is Royal Caribbean offering on those promotions? I mean, what is going on there? Are people paying full boat for tickets? And what happens if protective measures break down here with the virus? Okay, so let's try another. How about the not-so-hot employment number from automatic data processing this, this today? I don't know what that's worth. Remember, the expanded unemployment benefits are about to expire at the end of the summer, which should result in a very different kind of labor market. And that's something Lyft talked about on their conference call last night. They got a driver shortage now, but they expect it to go away very soon. Uber said the same thing tonight about the driver shortage. All right, so we've exhausted everything. What does work? What is a true barometer of the next six to nine months, which I regard as a classic investment horizon? Well, in the last few days, we've gotten a windfall here. We've heard from all the major shopping-related real estate investment trusts, the REITs. Now, these companies have a lot on the line. They and their tenants need to make not short-term commitments based on COVID, okay, but longer-term commitments based on everything. And these companies are telling us that they are going pedal to the metal right now in terms of signups. It's one of the best environments in history for retail real estate. From Kimco for strip malls, Tanger for factory outlets, Simon Properties for malls, Federal Realty for shopping center. Well, it's all good. As a matter of fact, Federal Realty, the kingpin of shopping centers, just reported this very evening and gave you another fantastic beat and real big raise. CEO Don Wood noted, quote, our team delivered an outstanding quarter exceeding all of our internal forecasts, end quote. And when I looked at those at those numbers tonight, I was saying, wow, things are good. When we heard from Simon Properties on Monday, that's the largest mall company. CEO David Simon explained that, quote, total sales for the month of June equal to June of 2019 and up 80% compared to last year. Occupancy is at 91.8%. That's an increase of 100 basis points compared to the first quarter, end quote. Simon said his properties continue to see demand for space from healthy local, regional, and national tenants, entrepreneurs, restaurateurs, mixed-use demand ever so increasing day by day. How about Kimco? Yes, the strip mall company, which at one point was supposed to be in real trouble from the pandemic, incredible demand. They told us that anchor occupancy finished the quarter at 96.9%, up 70 basis points, the largest quarterly gain they've ever seen since they started collecting that data 10 years ago. Kimco is seeing record leasing activities with new vacancies at a five-year low. They specifically highlighted the strength of off-price furniture, home goods, pet supply, hobby, health, wellness. When Tanger, the outlet company, reported yesterday, they felt compelled to dramatically raise their guidance. Again, you don't bump the full-year forecast unless you're feeling confident. The most calming and reassuring words came from, of all people, David Simon, who's hardly a calming and reassuring person. He said that even in the areas hardest hit by the Delta variant, where he has malls, like Missouri, like Florida, there's been no slowdown whatsoever. No COVID. He checked with the people who run his Battlefield Mall in, uh, in Springfield, Missouri, before the call, as well as with Florida malls. They're all doing fine. He's sanguine about what Delta means for the economy. Yeah, not much. More than half the country is now vaccinated. When it comes to mask mandates, we already know the drill. And that's why Simon declared a buck 50 distribution for the third quarter, up 7.1% versus the previous payout. By, by the way, over 15% from last year. To me, these retail REIT numbers tell you two things. First, the Delta variant may be infecting people at an alarming rate. 
including so-called breakthroughs who can be asymptomatic spreaders. You and I both know them. But it probably won't hit the overall economy as hard as you might expect, given how worried you might be about getting sick. Second, things are going to get better, maybe much better, by this time next year. We know that because nobody's signing five- or six-month leases, right? They're signing up for the duration. Given the breadth of different retailers these REITs deal with, it's encouraging that they all seem so positive about this next year right now. Here's the bottom line. When so many different kinds of retailers are predicting a healthy consumer environment that's getting stronger, not weaker by the day, the week, the month, and the year, who are we to say they're all wrong? I know these COVID numbers are scary. They scare me. But the people who take the virus seriously are already immunized, and the people who don't take it seriously won't change their behavior, even in the middle of a serious outbreak, which means the economy should end up being fine, if not stronger than we think. Alex in Florida. Alex. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Of course. My question is about RKT. At the current price point, what are your thoughts on rocket companies as a long-term investment, especially with the recent news of them expanding into the financing and providing solar technology? Well, I just think they're going to have a hard time. The competition there is so, so uh, difficult. I just don't know, even though I think the world of, of, of rocket, rocket, I just think the world of them, there are other companies gunning for them, including um, companies that have come on our own show and said, listen, we are going to make it so they lose a lot of business. And so, therefore, I find it difficult to recommend the stock. Or sometimes, guys, it is really hard to get a real read on the economy, but you have to do that to be able to invest. And there's one sector that gives us a pretty darn good sense of what's going on right now, and that's the shopping-related REITs. Those numbers indicate the economy is not as bad as many people think. Or maybe tonight, Kathy Wood, I know you're interested in what she's up to. She has her sights set on an under-the-radar software player. So could an investment in this stock put you on the path to profitability? I'm digging into, ha, not telling you, it's a tease. Then the industrials came to play this earnings season. And while Wall Street has rewarded many of the winners, there's one left that's going unnoticed. I'll reveal the name and share what you need to know. And Devon Energy was the second best performer in the S&P for the first half of the year. But its stock fell today after earnings. Could it get back on track for the second half? You know I'm starting to warm up to some of these companies that are coming down. I've got the exclusive with the CEO. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I'm going to give you what you want. I know you need to know this and you want to know it. Last year, Kathy Wood, right? Household name. Why? Her favorite stock soared into the stratosphere, and her whole family of ARK Invest ETFs generated some incredible performance. Hats off to her. This year, she's taken a lot of fire because she doesn't have much patience for diversification, and she loves the kind of turbocharged growth stocks that have kind of gone out of style this spring. But I still like to check ARK Invest daily trading alerts. I get them. They come in around 6.30 to 7 o'clock, and anyone can sign up for them on the website because they're a terrific source of ideas, and I love ideas. No other big-time asset manager offers this kind of transparency other than action alerts, and I'm not a big-time fund manager. That's my general trust. Let me put it this way. Although I have some problems with Kathy Wood's approach to portfolio management, and I think it's a mistake to blindly follow her every decision, 
She is one fantastic stock picker. In fact, she's one of the best I've ever seen when it comes to identifying against the grain growth stories. She can spot potential home run investments even when they're getting no respect from anyone else. Remember, Wood was one of the few highly visible money managers who believed in Tesla years ago when you couldn't find anyone else to give you the bookcase. For ages, it was just her and Ron Barron. She's also an early fan of CRISPR, that's C-R-I-S-P-R, gene editing technology, which has had some huge breakthroughs of late. Not all of her contrarian bets work out, but when she's right, oh man, the gains are spectacular. So when I see her ARK Invest ETFs endlessly buying a little-known enterprise software stock that came public in April, you better believe it catches my attention. So you know what, I'm starting. Those who follow her know which one I'm about to talk about. Yeah, I'm talking about UiPath. That's P-A-T-H for you, home gamers, PATH. It's a business process automation play. Don't roll your eyes. This is big. Starting from the day of UiPath's IPO on April 21st, ARK Invest has reported buying this stock for at least one of its ETFs on 50 out of 73 trading days. Do you think she likes it? Since the 4th of July, Woods Funds have bought UiPath for 19 out of 21 days. She can't get enough of this thing, to the point where ARK Invest is now one of the largest shareholders. But what really intrigues me about this story is that at this point, not many others seem to like it. UiPath had a hot IPO with a stock pricing at 56 for soaring to 69 on its first day of trading. Peaked at $90 a few weeks later. Since then, though, Path's been dropping like a rock, sinking back to 62 bucks as of today. Remember, a lot of the high-flying Nasdaq hit and crushed here. While the stock's still up a few bucks from where it came public, it's down $7 from where it started trading. Intrigued? I bet you are. Like I said a minute ago, Kathy Wood's a great stock picker, especially when she's going against the grain. And that's exactly the situation with UiPath. That's one reason I think it's worth buying for speculation. But I never give you my blessing without digging into the fundamentals. So let's take a closer look. UiPath is the leading player in what's known as robotic process automation. We're talking about software robots here, not robot robots. Their tools make it easier for companies to identify repetitive processes and then automate them. Their goal is a fully automated enterprise where everyone has a little digital assistant on their desktop carrying out basic day-to-day tasks on their path. Go look at the website. You'll see this. It's really clear. And Path has terrific technology. Their platform makes it easy for anyone to set up a software robot. And unlike most companies that do business process automation, they've taken this to the next level with what's known as semantic automation, where you can make computers understand things that are ambiguous, like legal documents. Path saves its customers' fortunes by allowing them to replace expensive human labor with cheap machine labor. And they keep finding new ways to deploy their technology. Four years ago, 75% of their use cases were in finance and accounting. Now those two areas represent just 35 to 40, with a lot more exposure to healthcare, telecom, retail, and the public sector. Why don't we go over the numbers so you kind of get comfortable here or uncomfortable, frankly. Uh, like pretty much of all of Kathy Wood's favorites, UiPath has a terrific growth story. In their 2021 fiscal year, which ended this January, the company delivered 81% revenue growth. Most recent quarter, sales growth slowed, if you can imagine, to 65%. That's hardly slow. That is really still very, very good. Meanwhile, they've been steadily growing their annual recurring revenue. That's what a lot of people want to measure growth by because it's kind of an annuity stream by 64% in the latest quarter, exactly what you want from a cloud software play. At the moment, UiPath is not particularly concerned with profitability. They've got an enormous growth opportunity, so they're pouring money back into the business. Even so, their operating margin managed to turn positive this past quarter. I find that very impressive. More importantly, these guys have a land and expand strategy. Once they get in the door to a given client, they try to sell them a lot more software. How do you judge the success of that kind of strategy? Well, you look at what's known as the dollar-based net retention rate. 
Anything over 100% means they're winning new business from existing customers. Anything below 100% means they might be losing business from existing customers. UiPaths at a staggering 145%. They're also bringing in lots of new customers. The total count went from less than 8,000 in January to more than 8,500 in April. But if this thing is so good, why can't UiPaths seem to get any love here? The stock got obliterated in June and it spent the last few weeks bouncing along the bottom. While Kathy Wood's buying it hand over fist, not many others are following her example. Let's get some theories about why that might be. Okay, first, the robotic process automation space is increasingly competitive. UI pass up against some smaller pure plays, but the real issue is that some larger software companies have gotten into this business too. Last year, Microsoft bought a company called SoftMotive, and they made its software automation program free for all Windows 10 users back in March. Meanwhile, SAP, Salesforce, ServiceNow offer some form of automation services, and you can also get more specialized industry-specific tools from Workday, Apin, or Coupa Software. Basically, even though UiPath's in a great business, there's a concern that someone with deeper pockets will take it from them. Second, the thing, even though it's come down, it, it is expensive. UiPath trading at 28 times next year's consensus sales estimates. I always have to emphasize this. Not earnings, but sales. That's about normal for top-flight enterprise software plays in this environment, but there's no denying it's pricey, especially for a company that hasn't proven itself yet. Which brings us to reason number three. When UiPath reported its first quarter as a publicly traded company a couple of months ago, the results were good, but they weren't good enough. Investors wanted Path to knock it out of the ballpark. Instead, they got a, a basically an inline set of numbers. And that's why the stock tumbled nearly 10% response. Good, but not great. Now, when Wall Street looks at UiPath, it sees, indeed, nothing special. But Kathy Wood, who's got better eyesight than everybody, clearly thinks this automation software play has something going on for it. And after doing the homework, i got to tell you, I agree with her. My one worry is your opportunity. The lockup on insider selling is coming in a few weeks. That, I bet, will put a ton of pressure on the stock. I bet you she buys more then. So here's the bottom line. If you like UiPath, you can put on a small position now in the low 60s, and then maybe you buy more into this lockup expiration. Because I think this is a stock that you should accumulate over time, exactly like what ARK Invest's been doing on an almost daily basis. Stick with Kramer. DuPont fell after reporting a top and bottom line beat. Is the stock's drop a sign of underlying issues or a mere misunderstanding? Kramer's digging deeper into the numbers and laying out a long-term bull case for the stock. Next. Okay. Can I say, it's been a great earnings season for the industrials. But not all of them are getting the respect they deserve. In particular, I think Double D, DuPont, is getting short shrift. I want to change that right now so you can see the opportunity in the industrial bargain bin before it disappears. And if we have a couple more bad days, like uh, for the big industrials, as, by the way, our two technicians said would happen on Monday and Tuesday. Yesterday morning, the specialty chemical maker reported an excellent beat and raise quarter. I saw it around 6.15. I said, oh, terrific top and bottom line beat, raise guidance. One that I judged, I figured the stock would be up a couple of bucks at least. But it didn't seem to matter one bit. The stock actually fell 26 cents yesterday. And then another 13 cents declined today. It's trading like management delivered a total nothing quarter. They raised their full-year earnings forecast by 60 cents for every sakes, and it still went down. On any other day, this thing would have been up at least a dollar. But it was a soggy session for the industrials in general yesterday and DuPont in particular. And again, the industrials did not do well today. To me, this whole thing's gotten ludicrous. 
What's the problem? I think Wall Street fundamentally misunderstands that there is a new DuPont. This thing trades like it's just some sort of basic materials or commodity chemicals play, which is why it's still trading well below its highs from early May, as is many of the commodity chemicals companies, even though the story keeps getting better and better. In reality, the new DuPont is what's known as especially, not not commodity, but specialty chemical maker, one that's much more proprietary than the basic material stocks. More than that, it's a long-term valuation creation play, one that's led by the bankable Ed Breen who was reinstalled as CEO roughly a year and a half ago after the new DuPont underperformed in the first year following the Dow DuPont breakup. And he didn't like that. That's one of the reasons why we own it from my charitable trust. You can follow along by joining the ActionLearnsPlus.com club. We've been behind Breen the whole way. Remember, Ed Breen is the original architect of this DuPont. He was the CEO of the old DuPont, where he spearheaded the huge merger with Dow Chemical, combined all their businesses, then broke them up by end market into a commodity chemical play, and that's the new Dow, which is a terrific company, and agricultural play, Corteva, another good company, and then a specialty chemical company, and that's the one we're talking about, DuPont. Now, Breen's got a phenomenal track record of bringing out value. This is the kind of thing he does. He used the same strategy to unlock value at the old Tyco International. I thought it was going to go under. He took over the company in 2002, disastrous reign of predecessor Dennis Kozlowski. When Breen stepped in, Tyco was in free fall. But he quickly righted the ship first and then orchestrated one of the most successful and lucrative set of breakups in history. How lucrative. The last time we ran the numbers on all the Tyco spinoffs was about five years ago. Uh, by then, Breen's leadership had given shareholders a 960% return in less than 15 years, though he was only running the company from 2002 through 2012. We thought that was a decent extrapolation. It's a fabulous track record. So what's he doing at the new DuPont? Since retaking the reins roughly 18 months ago, Breen's taken a similarly active approach to managing the company's portfolio by dumping non-core businesses and making acquisitions in attractive end markets. Last September, he sold DuPont's Trichlorosane, and that's a it's an arcane business that get, devolves, devolves silicon into stuff that, the, help, that uh, the semiconductor companies can use, and an equity interest in a joint venture with Hemlock Semiconductor for $725 million. This represented a significant chunk of the company's non-core businesses, lower margins, slower growing, hodgepodge leftover from the Dow-DuPont combination. What else? At the end of 2019, DuPont announced a deal to effectively sell the nutrition and biosciences division to international flavors and fragrances for roughly $7.3 billion in cash. That deal closed earlier this year, and Breen used the cash from these divestitures to pay down debt and make bold-on acquisitions in higher margin areas with better growth. That's what you want. And thanks to these moves, DuPont now is one of the cleanest balance sheets in its group. Just as important, they've also made some smart acquisitions. Back in March, we learned that DuPont's buying layered performance materials for $2.33 billion. This company makes performance materials that manage heat and protect devices from electromagnetic interference. Hey, that gives DuPont the exposure we want to 5G, the Internet of Things, high-performance computing, and most importantly, electric vehicles. And remember, the old DuPont didn't have anything like this. With the layered deal, the new DuPont could have more than $300 worth of content in your typical electric car or truck. That's what we're looking for. In short, this is a higher-quality company than Wall Street seems to recognize, but they haven't done the homework. Which brings me to the quarter DuPont delivered yesterday morning. Anyway, you slice it, business is booming. DuPont posted much better than expected sales, up 26% year over year, not to mention a 12 cent earnings beat off a 94 cent basis. Breen called out, and I quote, continued positive momentum in almost all of our key end markets, including semiconductors, smartphones, automotive, and residential construction, end quote. The new DuPont has three divisions, electronics and industrial, that was up 17% organically. Water and protection, 11% organically. Finally, the big winner, mobility and materials, that grew up 55% year over year, thanks to a 42% increase in volume, 
an increase in price. And those are the numbers this business put up in a quarter where it had serious supply constraints. More importantly, DuPont gave you just fantastic guidance. Not only did they forecast higher than anticipated sales and earnings for the current quarter, they also raised their full-time, full-year outlook substantially. Management's now talking about four and a quarter, 424 to 430. Hey, analysts are only looking for 376. About half that gain comes from a change in how they report amortization. But even when you back that out, we're still roughly 25 cents better than expected. Even if you gave these additional earnings a fairly low multiple, that should push DuPont up to higher levels. What else can I say? DuPont's core end market's on fire. They're dealing with higher raw material costs, but they've been able to pass those costs on to their customers by raising prices. Price hikes are sticking. Oh, and they bought back $640 million worth of stock just this quarter, retiring $2 billion in debt, too. The one thing Wall Street truly disliked this quarter was the not-so-hot free cash flow number. Maybe that's what caused the problem. But management was adamant that the situation's going to improve in the second half of the year. Ed Breen's bankable. I think you got to believe him. I think if anyone in this business has earned the benefit of the doubt, it is indeed Ed Breen. The bottom line, DuPont just reported great quarter. Stock did nothing because Wall Street just doesn't understand the story. So they don't give the company enough credit for the fact that Ed Breen's strategy is paying off. With this stock currently trading at a meager 17 times this year's earnings forecast, I'm pronouncing DuPont a bargain. Chris in Florida. Chris. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Chris. Jim, before I ask my question, I just want to say I'm an Action Alerts Plus club member. Love the club. It's terrific. Oh, Love the you. conference calls with you and Jeff. Thank you, man. Um, we, Jeff, Jeff, we work our butts off. We had a good call this morning. Uh, and I appreciate that. I appreciate you for joining the club. Thank you. What's up? It's terrific. Thank you. Uh, you've, you've enabled me to provide my family's financial independence. Wow. And not only that, do more for charity than I've ever been able to do. Well, so that's, thank that's you. the goal. Thank you very thank much. You. Thank you. Twin goals, education and charity. Thank you. thank you. How can I help? So my question, it, this isn't a club holding, but it's, it's an, an old company that, that's sort of a new company. It's sort of a slimmed down version of itself after a divestiture. Um, they are pretty much the leader in uh, of the LTL trucking business. Okay. My question is on XPL. Uh, look, uh, Brad Jacobs runs XPO. He's amazing. And by the way, the other one, the GXO, the, we had them on, too, the logistics spinoff. They're both good. These are terrific stocks. The charitable trust owned XPO. We made a fortune. It should have held on to it, but you know, can't look back at the gains. Only to critique the losses. Thank you for the kind words. Jerry in Missouri. Jerry. Jim, thank you for all you do for us home gamers. No problem. Thank uh, you. I'm a member of Action Alerts Trust oh, Club. Thank I've you. Made really nice props in the past. I'm interested in your opinion on Boeing, which seems to be range bound. It is. It is. But I've got to tell you, the, you know, they're sending a plane over to China to maybe get certified. A Boeing order would, for, um, from China would take this stock up 25 points. So let's hold on to it. The new DuPont is completely misunderstood by Wall Street. And that's why this stock went down on strong earnings. The company has a lot going for it. If you like an industrial, this is the one. There's much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with the best oil, the second best performing stock in the S&P, the first day of Devon Energy. Could today's post earnings decline represent a buying opportunity? I'm talking to CEO. Then Robinhood appears to be the latest member inducted in the meme Hall of Fame. But after rocketing higher, what should you do with it next? I'm going to give you my strategy. You know I like it. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer.
took me by surprise a month ago when I saw that Devon Energy, a seemingly run-of-the-mill oil producer, was the second-best performer in the S&P 500 for the first half of the year. But I didn't understand that the new Devon is very different from the old Devon. Earlier this year, the company completed a merger of equals with WPX Energy and installed WPX's CEO, Rick Moncrief. Now, that's pretty interesting. Remember, he was the smaller company CEO as the new CEO of the combined entity. Since then, he's been focused on generating cash flow and returning capital to shareholders. That's a new thing for oil companies. See, the new Devon now has a premium position in the best part of the Delaware Basin, one of the hottest areas in the permanent. But what really sets this one apart is its fixed plus variable dividend. Basically, Devon pegs the majority of its quarterly payout to the amount of cash they generate. When oil prices rise, those gains flow directly to the shareholders. Now, last night, Devon reported a strong quarter, lower than expected capital expenditures and higher than anticipated free cash flow, which translated into a monster dividend, 49 cents a share. If they can deliver that kind of payout all year, the stock would have an implied yield north of 7.5%, highest in the S&P. Of course, Devin got hit today because the price of crude tumbled more than 3% to the high 60s. But if you think you can hang on there, well, this could be a fabulous stock. Let's check in with Rick Moncrief. He is the president and CEO of Devon Energy. We first met back when he was the day-to-day manager of Continental Resources in the Bach and Shale almost exactly 10 years ago. He had a better read in the quarter where his company said, Rick, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Good to join you today. Rick, you figured it out. What we all want is an oil company that doesn't spend beyond its means, that generates a lot of free cash flow and returns it to shareholders. Could you please explain to people how unusual that is, but how quickly other people are adopting because it's what we really want? Well, we've, we've been listening to uh, Investor Jim, and, and this has been a hot topic for a couple of years. Uh, you know, historically, uh, energy companies out outspent, and we actually took every dollar of the cash flow coming in, and we turned around and, and reinvested in the business. And sometimes we uh, collectively borrowed even money to uh, spend more on more than cash flows. And so what we have today is we have uh, a, a brand new uh, a brand new uh, world, and the paradigm is sh- shift is is amazing. And so for us here at Devon, you know, we're at the point now where you're looking at a twenty percent free cash flow yield. And we are returning that to uh, to shareholders. Uh, we've not only implemented the variable dividend concept, where we have a fixed dividend plus the variable dividend, but we've also paid down year to date already uh, 1.2 billion of debt. So, uh, very very uh, thoughtful in our in our uh, approach to the business these days. At the same time, you have got some of the most premier properties in this country, correct? That's correct. And, you know, the, the beauty about the, the merger between Devon Energy and WPX Energy, which was uh, actually closed in, in January this year, is only, only six, seven months ago, is that we now have 400,000 acres in the, in the very best part of the Delaware Basin and uh, unbelievably uh, productive. And it allows us to be very thoughtful uh, in, in our investing. And it, it generates a, a lot of free cash, uh, certainly. Uh, we, we are in five basins, and the, the uh, Eagle for the South Texas, the Anadarko here in Oklahoma, the Powder River Basin of, of uh, Wyoming, and then the Williston Basin of North Dakota, Jim, where you and I spent some time, as you, as you mentioned earlier, 10 years ago. And so all of our assets either have a growth component or, uh, more importantly, a free cash flow component. And so it's a, it's a great blend of assets, a uh, strong balance sheet, and allows us to do exactly uh, what we've done with our variable uh, dividend concept. Now, Rick, when I look at what you're doing, I also see something that is highly unusual. It seems like the price of your business, of actually a well, is coming down significantly. Now, I know that everyone has said it's right. come down over the last years, but you guys make a lot of money per well. We have. I mean, uh, we have a wonderful team. And, uh, you know, uh, operations is something I, I, I think is a real strength of our company. 
and uh, we uh, we operate very safely and efficiently. We've driven a cost down, and uh, that, as you mentioned uh, in your introductory comments, that that certainly sets you up for some real nice uh, free cash flow uh, generation. And so, we'll uh, we'll continue to focus on that. And we've got a, a very capable organization, and I can't be more pleased with uh, how the merger is, is uh, come together. All right. When I met you ten years ago, I thought that the Bakken was going to be good. Uh, you told me it would be good, but you gave me an image of a country that actually had a lot more oil in it. And I've run with that for a decade. Uh, You turned out to be probably the most right of anyone I dealt with. What do you think is the status now of the United States in oil? Well, I I think we're in a really nice position, Jim, to be honest with you. And if you'll recall back to that that conversation of 10 years ago, uh, I recall the look in your eyes when I mentioned that North Dakota was actually going to pass Alaska (laughs) Uh, in in production, and that seemed uh, unfathomable at the time. But we just saw that the resource was there, and uh, with the you know the capabilities as an industry to uh, to change the game, and and that's happened. And now, if you fast forward, uh, New Mexico is now uh, where we're at in the Permian Basin is is now the number two uh, crude oil producer in the nation. So uh, New Mexico has even surpassed uh, North Dakota. And, uh, you know, when you look at, uh, at the future, I think it looks really uh, quite strong. And uh, we, we're convinced that uh, some of the cleanest barrels will be produced here in the U.S., and, uh, not only on land, but offshore uh, here in the U.S. Uh, it really makes you feel good, I believe, about the future of uh, American oil and gas. One last question. You told me back then, look, we got to be more careful. Uh, too much methane coming out. Not being careful enough. American people don't want that. I didn't understand any of that at all. Obviously, we're better now than we were then. Well, we are. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, I use the analogy sometimes when you're in a growth period, like we've been in the uh, oil and gas sector, it's, it's similar to a highway expansion where you're going to go from two lanes to four lanes. Sometimes you just have to have to be patient to get the infrastructure built out, get that construction behind. And I think that's where we're at as, as an industry. And so I'm very pleased. Uh, we still have some work to do, no doubt about it. Uh, we're going to continue to drive down emissions as a, as a sector. I know we are as a company, and we've uh, we've got some short-term targets, some some uh, mid-range targets, and some long target uh, long-range targets uh, of what we're going to do here at Devon Energy, and feel uh, feel very good about the future. I also get excited about what we're doing with our um, our LNG exports, Jim, uh, on natural gas, and uh, not only. Uh, you know, we now can crude, uh, export crude oil, but we can also uh, export natural gas. And that's going to replace some of the, the dirtier fuel sources that we see around the globe. And that's a that's a really good thing. So when we're exporting 11 BCF a day uh, from here in the U.S., uh, we're exporting seven Bs, up to seven Bs a day into Mexico, which is going to help our mm-hmm. neighbor to the south in a, in a huge way, not only from an economic perspective, but uh, uh, equally, or if not more importantly, from an environmental perspective. Well, it's a great story. I did, I did start to feel that oil was uninvestable, and then people like you came through and said, you know what, we're going to get our act together, and we'll be good citizens, and boy, are you ever. I want to thank Rick Moncrief. He's the president and CEO of Devon Energy, true visionary in this industry. Thank you so much for coming on the show, sir. Yeah, great, great to talk to you, Jim. Thank you very much. As always, thank you. Stick around. May I make a suggestion? I would stay with him. The lightning round is coming up next. It is time to start with the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy, time for the lightning round. Let's start with Drew. It matches Drew. 
Booyah, Jim. Booyah, I have Jim. a question. Jim. Your earnings just came out with all the COVID circumferences at home. You know, kids staying home, teens, adults, they've been playing more and more video games. And I was thinking, you know, earlier today, EA would smash earnings and sales. But as we know, you know, unfortunately, they only got the sales. Right. But what do you, th- what do you think long term, though? Buy, hold, or sell EA? Well, you know, the, that conference call is going on right now as I talk, so I cannot be able to opine on it. I didn't re- I read Activision Blizzard. That was an amazing quarter. Take two, not an amazing quarter. I've got to do more work, but I like that. By the way, Roblox is coming back again. Carter in Virginia. Carter. Jim, what do you think of Monster Beverage? Oh, I think Monster Beverage is terrific. I also like Rockstar oh, on by Pepsi because that's my, uh, my compare. Let's go to Michael in Pennsylvania. Michael. Hey, booyah, Jim. Booyah. Good, good, good to hear from you, brother. Thank hey, you. Uh, I'm here from Waynesport, Pennsylvania, home of the League World Series. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. Love that place. What's up? Yeah, I don't think it's real far from you. Hey, Jim, my question to you is fastly. F-S-L-Y. Yeah, I mean, they blew it. They, yeah, Fastly, I don't like Fastly. I didn't like Akamai, and I didn't like Fastly. Uh, too many outages uh, in that industry are causing people to be able to pull back. We're seeing pullbacks in a lot of these very expensive stocks. Edward in Connecticut. Edward. Jim. Edward. Yes, my stock is Viacom. You know what? Viacom is an inexpensive stock. Uh, in an industry that continues to consolidate. Let's go to Christopher in New York. Christopher. Hi, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, Christopher. What's up? Uh, Action Alerts Plus member here. Uh, yes. Thank you for making me a lot of money. And uh, my question, I want to a food company to the portfolio. What do you think about Archer Daniels Midland? It's always inexpensive. That's kind of the problem, isn't it? It's just always inexpensive. But I wouldn't mind a 2.5% yield. I think it's fine, not my fave. Same thing with Tyson. Fine, not my fave. Jim in Michigan. Jim. Yeah, hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. My stock is Sonic Automotive. You know what? I still, I mean, there are a lot of people feel this this group has peaked, the dealer uh, repair. Uh, my favorite is, uh, I'm going to go back to AutoZone, ACO, with that great buyback and good numbers. People don't think it's, it's going too far. I don't think so. How about we go to Dana in Washington? Dana. Booyah, Jimmy. Booyah, uh, calling about a company that recently de-stacked, is currently oversold, is vertically integrated, and the only manufacturer of its kind with revenue. Of course, I'm talking about the battery juggernaut, Michael Bass. Well, that juggernaut needs to be investigated further by me because I am not on the juggernaut board, and I do not want to be able to say, hey, just get off there or not. We'll do more work. Carlo in Florida. Carlo. Hey, booyah, Kramer. Booyah, Carlo. Long-time listener. Long-time listener. First time I like that. First time, long time. My first, my stock is CM, desktop metal. No, I don't... (laughs) 3D printing, I mean, like, I know DDD went up without me, but I am not going there 3D printing. I need to go to Chuck in California, Chuck. Yes, I've been holding AT&T stock, you know. I do not like AT&T stock. I don't know if I can really even go. My, my you know, now Mary always said, if you don't have anything nice to say about somebody, don't say it, ATT. And that, ladies and conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round. Is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Americans know that bulls make money, bears make money, and pigs get slaughtered. And when it comes to the latest high-flying meme stocks, Kramer's revisiting his get rich carefully mantra and cautioning investors to be disciplined with their portfolios. Next. 
All right, David Faber checked me this morning. When I was caught in the act on Squawk on the Street, you see, I was being too exuberant. Maybe because I was so excited that he's hosting Jeopardy all week. So when Robin Hood, the stock, got halted for volatility, too many buyers, not enough sellers, I was gleeful that you were getting a double from where it came public last week. I was so glad because I told you to buy it. Favor cut me to the quick, though, asking if I am so excited as to lose caution and give the wrong impression of the situation. My other partner, Carl Quintanilla, quickly reminded me of my last book, Get Rich Carefully, and how Robinhood stock would seem to be the opposite of getting rich carefully. They're right. So immediately after they brought me back to earth, I realized I was encouraging people to throw caution to the wind. And that is not me, and it's not what I wanted to do. And I take it back. I said that right then. See, it might have been me back in my old hedge fund where we were often wildly concentrated, some say over-concentrated, but it sure isn't me now. And that's why I said, I don't want anyone to be a pig. Many Robin Hoodies got stuck, got stock in the IPO, and I applaud that, okay? I urge them to sell something right here, okay? Right now, maybe tomorrow, maybe as much as half your position if you want to, so that you could recoup the original investment and play with the house's money. That's the holy grail. At the very least, I beg them to take off enough to go buy a cashmere sweater, like my mom would always do when we went when we wanted the casino or the racetrack. Right here. Right here. Time to take some off the table. Of course, we have a big megaphone, and Robin Hood is a sliver stock. They only offered a small chunk of shares in last week's deal, which makes it very volatile. So the darn thing quickly backtracked some 30 points after I said it. Uh, it was at 85, and then boom, right down. Uh, but then a midday rally brought it back to 70, where you got another chance. It's okay too, especially if you bought more uh, when the stock broke the print, as I advised you to do on Monday. If you got this one in the 30s and you haven't sold any yet, you're a pig. I recommend you ring the register on part of your position. I'm going to repeat that. You're a pig. But I also advise holding on to some. Why? Because people keep counting out CEO of Latenev. They think he's just a tech guy with a solid app. In reality, he's an apostle of investing to the 22.5 billion people who opened an account with Robinhood, many of them coming in after the GameStop debacle at the beginning of the year, where they had to restrict trading because they didn't have the correct controls. While that angered many people, it didn't stop the relentless tide of new users who love that Robinhood lets them trade for free with an easy-to-use app. Buying stocks has never been so painless. I took a lot of heat last week when I kept urging people to buy Robinhood and suggested it could become a meme stock. Shorthand for the names that are loved beyond reason by a cadre of younger investors who just post endlessly on Reddit. These people are attracted to stocks with huge short positions. When you do enough uh, damage to the shorts, of course, they can be forced to buy back the stock in question against their will. After Robinhood flopped on its first day of trading, it attracted considerable short position. So it was game on for the memesters. I was I was trashed by everybody for saying I like it. By the way, you should never short a stock with a tiny float because the mechanics of short selling can rip your lungs out when there aren't enough shares to go around. Now, meme stocks are easy money on the way up. But as we've seen with GameStop and AMC of late, you have to take profits when you still have them by selling gradually on the way up. The memesters just don't have enough money to keep all these meme stocks flying higher. Hence why GameStop and AMC have been dropping like stones. That money's now flowing into Robinhood. And I don't want you to be a pig about it. Third time I mentioned pig. Doesn't matter how much you love this one. Discipline always trumps conviction, people. And discipline says you need to take something off the table when you've got an 80% plus gain in two days. Just half. I'm not saying all. Half. 
That's also why we peeled off some advanced micro devices, a stock we have long championed. The Kramer fave chipmaker became an overnight meme stock. OK, so what happened? <laughs> what happened here? Andy's in the process of acquiring Xilinx with a big chunk of stock in a deal that could close sometime soon. Normally, you've got an entire industry of what's known as merger arbitrage funds who short the acquirer. In that case, it's AMD. OK, and buy the target Xilinx because in a stock for stock deal, the prices will only converge. But there's a problem with that playbook. Many arbitrageurs dislike buying high-dollar-value stocks, like the $144 Xilinx, because if the deal breaks down, they'll be crushed. So now they're rolling back their position, selling Xilinx and buying back AMD. The meme guys see this, and they want to crush the hedge funds that are doing this trade, which is why AMD jumped more than 5% today, as, once again, the hated shorts had to scramble to cover because the memesters forced their hands. I just hope the Wall Street betters, the memesters, remember to take something off the table and go buy that nice cashmere sweater. These gamblers just don't have enough money to keep the AMC, AMD, GameStop, and Robinhood balls in the air all at once. Somebody or somebody's got to lose. Do not let it be you. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. 